This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, today on the podcast, I sat down and chatted with Jamie Piedela. Jamie has a Instagram page called Naturally Nourished Home. It's super interesting. So she gets into a lot of food related things there, but it kind of started with a background uh, with her history with Crohn's disease and autoimmune disorder. Uh, and also at the same time, kind of consecutively also having a d- eating disorder, which we got into as well. Um, so it's just fascinating to hear about that. Again, I'm dealing with some similar things myself. So to be able to pick her brain of like, hey, where did this come from? What was your trajectory here was super interesting. Uh, and, and go check out her page. Again, we're talking cooking a bunch of uh, liver, making marshmallows, using some egg whites, uh, things like tongue tacos, you know, just unconventional things, which I think is super cool and super interesting. Uh, so I enjoy this conversation. I hope you guys do as well. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. I'm curious for you, really the backstory. Like I want to get into the eating, the food, um, digestive, all that kind of stuff. Sure. And, and to whatever extent you're comfortable. Okay. Can you get into your backstory of you were 17? Before we got on, we were talking it about was, you were 17. It started before that even. Okay. Um, it would have started, I guess, the backstory, not yeah. my um, passion in diet or nutrition. Um, it would have started when I was 10 years old. Um, I started having body image issues. Okay. And in fifth grade. In sixth grade, I started restricting my eating. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, you know, the start of puberty, my body was changing. Um, so I started going on scales, um, started restricting eating, and then that that went all the way until I graduated. Mm-hmm. And it just progressively got worse. And I kept it a secret. I was able to, like, keep it away, you know, keep it a secret from my mom, for the most part, my mom and my sisters, they had suspicions. Um, they never really pried. Um, and then after high school, it turned into, the anorexia turned into bulimia. Okay. And that went on for, I suppose I graduated in 2010 and I would have got treatment. I was hospitalized in 2012. And then I didn't, I had a couple like relapses, they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, after treatment and I the last time this is the terminology they say you know if you have bulimia or anorexia or exercise bulimia any of the I guess eating disorders Mm -hmm. um, if you say throw up they say you use your symptoms so the last time I used my symptoms was July of 2015 Hmm. okay Um, so from when I was hospitalized in 2012 to July of 2013 or 15 um, that was kind of a big, I don't know, a big time, I guess, in my journey to 
where I'm at now. Right. Because it was kind of my wake up call of, wow, I have an issue Mm -hmm. that I did not, I was in denial that I had for many, many years to getting hospitalized, getting treatment and almost being forced into admitting that I had an issue and then trying to overcome it. Mm -hmm. And so that was a three year process of where I got to the point of not using my symptoms anymore and from there it was a slow process of not having the temptation to use my symptoms sure with bulimia when you um you know throw up (laughs) um after you eat it becomes like a reflex of your body Hmm. so even like when i was in treatment um, they have glass tables so you can't hide your food they watch you shower they watch you go to the bathroom not watch you but you're somebody's i guess monitoring you all the time yeah they measure your input they measure your output so you you can't really get away with anything um and i was in i guess you could call it the icu Mm -hmm. of the hospital the eating disorder hospital and um yeah so it was hard being in treatment for the first time because your body wants to you know Right. It's a reflex almost. So it was really, really hard. You almost go through withdrawals in a mm. sense. So after that, I had eight months where I was good, able to, you know, not use my symptoms. And then um, over the next three years, I had kind of, I guess, relapses. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. So since then, it's been, I guess, a, yeah, for sure, a healing journey from both my Crohn's and the eating disorder, which both of them were probably... <laughs> You know, one on its own wouldn't be good, but with Crohn's being a digestive issue and then my eating disorder with, you know, that was a lot of damage to my esophagus, my mouth, mm-hmm. mentally, emotionally. Um, So I feel like it was, yeah, so it was kind of both things that pushed me, I guess, into becoming passionate about right. food and diet. Yeah, for sure. And I, lots of ways we can go, right? But I'm curious yeah. for you, is it comfortable to talk about that? Or is it hard? It is now. Is it it okay. is now. Um, for many, many years, I was ashamed of it. I was embarrassed of it um, until I met Bruce. Okay. I thought, like back then, I thought when I get married one day, it's not even something I'm going to tell my husband. Hmm. And this was after I got hospitalized. I was like, this is, you know, mom, if anyone asks why I'm in the hospital, you have to tell them it's for my Crohn's. Mm-hmm. Because it was, to me at the time, so embarrassing And I didn't realize how many people struggle with, maybe not to the extreme of, you know, full-on bulimia or full-on anorexia, but just disordered eating. Mm -hmm. And guys, girls, children, adults, like there's so many people over the years that have um, shared with me that they also struggle, maybe not to that extreme, some of them to that extreme, Mm -hmm. but it's a spectrum. And um, I became more comfortable um, after meeting Bruce, and that was what we were talking about earlier. He, um, I, you know, unexpectedly told him and his response was, you know, that why, why do you think that this is a negative thing? Like I see it as this makes you a stronger person. You know, he, he just turned it into a positive thing mm-hmm. rather than like, you know, oh, why would you, I don't know. Right. He, he, he somehow turned it into a positive thing. And um, from there, so I met him in 14 follow 14 so over that first year of us dating um he was a huge support system for me which Mm -hmm. i never had up until that point yeah somebody that i could openly share with um besides my dad 
um, my dad would check in with me. Um, but it was, it wasn't, you know, a constant support system. Mm -hmm. It was just, he cared and he asked and he questioned me and made sure I was doing well. And my mom did too. But, um, Bruce was the first person that was like my rock, I guess, when it came to that struggle. Right. And he, yeah, he's just so positive. So he turned somehow my eating disorder into a positive thing. And yeah, he helped me overcome it. Um, for sure. It, even after 2015, it still took a long time to mentally get to the point of healing, but yeah. Yeah. How crazy. Hey, you think about that. You went from, okay, future husband. I'm never going to tell you about this. You you (laughs) told him and two weeks after meeting him, I told him, yeah, I just, I never thought I would. Yeah. But also there's kind of three ways he can go with that. One is like, Hey, I can't handle this. I mean, I think that'd be a horrible response, right? Well, I had that response. Somebody that I was spending time with, he said, what are you trying to scare me away? I was like, scare you away. No, I'm trying to, you know, share a part of me. Yeah. And so then hearing Bruce's response was, you know, it was day and night. Mm -hmm. Like the, I don't know. So, but the middle road is like, Hey, that's okay. We can get through this. But the other road is like, how sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was a very unexpected response. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think you have to look at everything that way. Yeah. Like we're, uh, we'll, I, we can get into some things later, but I think that's the only way to look at it. Like I'm struggling with some stuff right now and I'm like, unreal. Like, yeah, sweet. Yeah. Like I'll be a way healthier person long-term because of it or exactly. whatever. You can help. There's other always people, a silver though. lining. Yeah. But it's yeah. hard to see that sometimes when you're the one in that. In the midst, in of, the the midst of the struggle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Right. Um, so, and, and, and again, to whatever extent you're comfortable, the Crohn's and the eating side of things, is it was it connected or just almost too simultaneous? It's hard to say because in the medical world, they say there's no cause for Crohn's, there's no cure for Crohn's. Okay. So it's hard to say what caused my Crohn's. I mean, with any autoimmune disease, it's pretty much, they, they say there's no cause, there's no cure, there's just management. Mm-hmm. So when I got diagnosed, they said, you can manage it with these drugs. Mm-hmm. You can manage it by reducing stress. They did admit that, that yeah. stress will affect it. So they said, you know, stress. And then if you recognize that certain things, you know, cause issues, um, eating fatty foods. And then they said like raw vegetables hmm. um, were things, lettuce, um, carrots. I'm trying to think of the very specific things that they're like, okay, if you avoid these, try to reduce your stress and then take this medication. There is no cure eventually you probably will have to have surgery to get part of your intestines taken out because the scar tissue build up mm-hmm. but you can you know manage your symptoms with these drugs um so it's hard to say you know if i'm sure my um my eating disorder probably didn't help it right but it's hard to say what would have caused it sure. i mean we live in a toxic world yeah. and it's i mean yeah it's hard to say Okay. I used I used to think, oh, it was all the sugar I ate as a kid. I was a sugar nut. Mm-hmm. Um, and because sugar was one of the things that I that flared up my Crohn's if mm-hmm. I ate too much of it. Then I, oh, maybe it's because I ate so much ice cream as a kid because you know dairy caused issues. Well, now I can have sugar. I can have dairy, and so I think it was just me looking for some answer at the time. Mm-hmm. But it, I really don't know what would have specifically caused it. Yeah the 
so I had you on. I was excited to talk about the food side, which we'll get into, right? Yep. But then again, the autoimmune side, because again, I'm yeah. struggling with my own thing Is that I'm working through. Rheum- yeah. Not officially diagnosed as rheumatoid arthritis, but pain in my joints. Okay. So for like two or three months, I had some pain in my joints and it would move like my wrist for three days and then it would be, get better. And each time it would get to a peak where like I couldn't sleep, I couldn't move, like wow. brutal pain. Um, take some ibuprofen finally at that peak I'd wake up the next day and I would get through it then to come out the other side and then another the first three or four times I was like hey I, th- I think I can explain it like I tweaked this or I did this by like the fifth time I'm like this isn't normal something's yeah. not right here yeah so I got blood labs done and my uh, anti-CCP levels were super high which they, they said is an indicator of rheumatoid arthritis arthritis they were gonna refer me to a rheumatologist um, but I just enough exposure to the wellness way. I don't know if you're familiar with that yeah, at all. I, I went there for oh. a four, five month okay. stint maybe. Yeah. Um, so I kind of want to go down those rabbit holes eventually. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. um, enough exposure there where I said, hey, there's something going on here, like some imbalance or inflammation or whatever. Just start working with them. Got my food allergies tested and overnight, like basically elimination of symptoms. Yeah. Uh, so super beneficial there. But that's why I was excited to have you on is though like those two... Uh, items and i so we'll get into that the food the autoimmune side of things but i didn't i, I wasn't aware of your history and obviously like you said yeah, you're going to keep yeah. it very tight on the yeah. on the eating disorder side of things yeah. is there that's pretty common isn't it like more common than you would What's think that? the eating disorder side of oh, things yes. like for girls I, yeah, yeah. I, I think so yeah. um at the time when i was really in the midst of my struggles through high school and after um i thought that it was normal what I was doing. I mm. thought everyone else did it, but I first, I obviously knew deep down that it wasn't right because I mm. kept it a secret. Right. Um, my Crohn's was actually in the beginning was probably more of a, a negative thing for my health. Now I look at it just like you, you know, with your rheumatoid or your arthritis, mm. um, you know, it, you can turn it into a positive thing. But at the time I used that as a tool um, to, I guess, um, for my eating disorder. Okay. So with my Crohn's, I got diagnosed when I was 17. Um, I had to have an endoscopy and a colonoscopy. They did a biopsy. They diagnosed me and they put me on, I was passing blood in my stools for over a year before I told my mom Mm -hmm. because I was embarrassed. I was 16 at the time. Eventually I told her we got tested. They, the results came back and they said, okay, well you have um, stomach ulcer, you have um, inflammation in your large and small intestines. Um, we need to get you on a high dose of prednisone. Mm-hmm. So they had me on a high dose of prednisone. I can't remember exactly how long. It was several weeks and my joints got so inflamed. I couldn't move. I couldn't walk. Hmm. I, it hurt to lay. It it was just straight. It was the most pain I've been in at that point. Um, more painful than my Crohn's. Hmm. They took me off of it. They had to, wean, had to wean me off of it. And then they put me on two more medications, Asacol and Mercaptoprene, which is, I think it's like a chemo treatment of some sort. Wow. I don't even know at this point, like what it would have done to help my Crohn's, but they use it, I guess, sometimes for sure. Crohn's patients. Um, I got rashes all over my, oily rashes all over my face. I was losing my hair. I had um, liver pain. Um, so I, anyway, eventually got off either one, you know, both of those medications. Um, but then we went see my aunt Myra and my mom brought me to her and was like, is there anything that we can do for Jamie with this, this Crohn's? Mm -hmm. And she really 
helped guide us through the initial um, dietary changes Mm -hmm. that happened, I guess, and the most drastic ones. We did an elimination diet, eliminated um, the typical um, inflammatory foods, the gluten, the dairy, the sugar, um, nuts. Um, Trying to think there was... Anyway, we eliminated all these foods for three months, slowly started introducing them back. And I lost 22 pounds in less than three weeks Hmm. because of the inflammation. My body wasn't absorbing anything. And then I was on this new restricted diet. You couldn't go buy gluten-free bread. You couldn't go buy, you know, you could buy soy milk Mm -hmm. and it wasn't very good. Um, So I was not eating much, you know, nutrient-dense food at all. And then I also was struggling with my eating disorder Mm -hmm. secretly and so for me this i was seeing this as such a positive thing i lost 22 pounds i thought it was great right so um i ended up getting pretty sick and once i started introducing these foods back um i started realizing like oh i'm on this new restricted diet like now I have an excuse. Now I don't have to hide it as much that I can that I'm restricting food because mm. I can use my Crohn's as a way to restrict it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, I guess, in the beginning, that was, you know, not a great thing. Right. <laughs> my diagnosis, um, I think that that damaged my health quite a bit more because for many years, then I was able to use that as an excuse mm. for why I wasn't eating at a restaurant or why I wasn't, you know why I was going to the bathroom or it was more of a cover up. Right. Right. Um, I didn't have a passion for health at that time. My, my obsession was, um, the number on the scale and how my body looked yeah. compared to other people. And, um, yeah, so I had a, un, yeah, very unhealthy, I guess, relationship with food at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it gets to the point where now, is that not the case? Like, it feels like you have a pretty healthy relationship with food. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's been quite a few years now. Like that I've, it's not something I think about anymore, but it took a long time. It probably took, I don't know, maybe a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Probably. Um, when I got married, I wasn't struggling. That was 2017. Okay. Um, that I had a, so it was probably a year, year and a half, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess my my dad died in July of 16 and I wasn't struggling at that point. So maybe it was a year. Okay. Um that I struggled for after like not using my symptoms anymore and then to the point of I don't think about this every day it was probably a year. Yeah. Um and I guess that's what I was curious about too again that the world of the eating disorders, the anorexia or the bulimia that side of things is aware of them but pretty limited exposure. So I was curious for hearing your story is there a lot of other, and it seems like it'd be more on the girl side of things, a lot of other young girls who are also dealing with that and that hearing your story could help them potentially. I guess that's what I'm curious about. Yeah, I would say that there's probably more girls and women in general that struggle with it. That Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody would have ever known. None of my, there's a lot of my friends that had no idea until I told them and I spent a lot of time with them. Right. Some of them had suspicions. Um, I think it's like that for a lot of people, unless you look very ill physically, you know, how would somebody know or suspect that? Yeah. It's, you know, it was my biggest secret (laughs) in high school. Um, and I feel like, um, People, when I was hospitalized, people think like, oh, if you have an eating disorder, you're really thin. And mm. that's not the case. There was there was women in their 60s. There was women that were more heavy set. There was women that 
looked like, you know, the stereotypical skinny lady that has an eating disorder. And then there's people like me that, you know, looked pretty average. Mm -hmm. There was also guys in there. There was teenage boys in there. Sure. And so for sure, mostly women and girls. But I mean, you couldn't look at someone on the street and say they have an eating disorder. Sure. Once you, you can't um, be anorexic forever. You can't restrict eating forever. So it typically, it turns into bulimia Hmm. or um, exercise bulimia. You, you have to find a new way to um, have that control um, because you can't starve yourself forever. And so bulimia, once I got to the point of where I started struggling with bulimia, my weight just fluctuated. Hmm. Whereas you think, oh, somebody has bulimia, they're skinny. A lot of times they're overweight Okay. or their weight just yo-yos. Yeah. What is exercise bulimia? It's where you use exercise to, if you can't restrict the calories or some people that have exercise bulimia do restrict calories as well, but anorexia is restrictive eating. Mm -hmm. And then exercise bulimia would be um, using exercise to burn off the calories. It's an obsessive, um, being obsessive over exercise because you can't restrict or maybe you haven't got to the point of bulimia yet. Sure. Okay. Um, and then again, we can jump around, but the, the timeline, you said you got some initial advice, the elimination diet and started introducing back things back into it. Where did you go from there? Like you, you mentioned at one point you went to the wellness way. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about that trajectory of like, how did you go from not having a good relationship with food to now you do? And what was that trajectory like? And what are some of the things you learned along the way? Yeah, so I would have went on the elimination diet for a few months. Um, this was, I believe, when I was, I I hadn't graduated yet. Okay. So it was within my senior year that I was on this restricted um, elimination diet. Um, and I would have been on medication for a couple of years with, you know, the trying to figure out my diet with my Aunt Myra. Mm-hmm. Um I'm trying to think after I graduated, I moved to Alaska, um, moved back to the UP and I would have been there for a winter and that's when my bulimia started. Okay. Um, and then I would have moved out to North Dakota in 2011 and that is when I think I started, I, I, I had a little bit of interest in eating healthy at that point, but it was just so I could work out, go to the gym. Um, there was the, have you lived in Dickinson? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, the rec center. Yeah. It was, so I had, I didn't have the energy to work out. So I started, I guess, wanting to eat quote unquote healthy so I could have energy to work out. Okay. Um, so then I think at that point, I think I had a fairly healthy relationship with exercising with my anorexia through high school. I also went through stints, I guess, of having struggling with exercise bulimia. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so living in North Dakota, I think would have been kind of the start of where I started having an interest in nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it just evolved from there. I moved around a lot and tried a lot of new foods. I never had a steak until I moved to Dickinson. Huh. Um, I never had, I don't think I ever had an avocado until I moved there. Yeah. I I grew up a very picky eater. And um, so my, I guess, p- 
palette was developed through moving around Alaska, Hawaii, North Dakota, um, just traveling in general, just mm. on trips and trying out new food. Um, and I think through that, I started having interest in cooking. Because growing up, I just liked to bake cookies mm-hmm. and <laughs> eat ice cream. And I mean, I yeah. So I started enjoying cooking food for myself. And I can't remember at what point it was that I was introduced to the Whole30. Okay. That would have been my first um, introduction, I guess, to... I tried Whole Foods eating in high school just as a... For me, a weight loss thing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't because of the nutrition. So when I was introduced to the Whole30, it was more like, oh, wow, you know, this, you know, food can be, you know, you can eat great food and it can be good for you and it was, could be fun to make. And so I... I think that's where it kind of sparked my interest. Um, but at that time, I was still struggling with my eating disorder. Yeah. So I still did use the Whole30 as a way to um, control my weight mm-hmm. um, as a cover-up once again, you know. Yeah. Um, so, but that's probably what would have sparked it. Okay. And then from there, I think it just developed over the years. Um, once I um, realized that, oh, eating whole foods, eating good food makes me feel better. I think it just naturally like took off from there. Um, because I struggled with, I never had to get hospitalized for my Crohn's. There was a couple times I ended up in the ER because of the abdominal pain was so severe, but there was never any, I had one time where I had a blockage and it was for nine days. Um, I had to go on a juice cleanse, um, because I couldn't pass anything. Mm. And that was, really painful that was hard um that would have been i guess a wake-up call um where i was like okay i need to start focusing more on eating foods that i feel good eating because at that point that's i guess when i would have got off my medication was when i started um i guess when i started looking at food as you know, a way to nourish my body versus a way to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Because people look at healthy food, they can think I'm going to eat this healthy food because it's going to make me lose weight. Or you could say I'm going to eat this healthy food because it's going to nourish my body or who knows, whatever your reason is. Maybe it's just for pure enjoyment. And that's great too. Um, But yeah, so I think it just developed from there. Okay. Um, I tried the whole 30, never was able to fully do the whole 30. It was too hard for me. Mm -hmm. Um, It was triggering, I think for sure from with my eating disorder. Um, but yeah, traveling, I think is what, okay. like living in Alaska and all of the fresh meat that they cook, people up there are very, very health conscious. So it was a way for me to be surrounded by people that ate healthy food, had healthy relationships with food. And so I didn't have all of these temptations. I didn't feel crappy. It was like, that was, I think my, the turning point in my eating disorder was mm. living in Alaska mm-hmm. in 2014. Okay. So then I'm curious from there, I guess like it feels like there's like many dynamics at play at once. Like you're For sure, yeah. uh, the food side of things, the nutrition, the, uh, the Crohn's yep. that, and then like medicine, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. like, I feel like your relationship to those things ebbs and flows through that trajectory potentially. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious for there, like, for example, it feels like right now in the, um, in the, What's the word for arthritis, Crohn's, all these? I'm just having a, a brain autoimmune. Right autoimmune. In yeah. the autoimmune world, it feels like there's a growing trend towards, again, this is me being exposed to it for five months, right? Yeah. Towards, hey, don't 
medicate, like work with diet, work with any way you can to not go on medication because the medication is going to lead towards worse things in the long run. Yeah. Again, that's my only exposure. Like I've been working with the wellness weight. Like that's what they will talk about, right? So I don't know if that's a growing thing, but it feels like it is. And I'm just No, I think it is. And I think think COVID boosted that. Yeah. I think um, the silver lining of COVID was that more people are more health conscious, more people's eyes have been opened. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was a very positive thing that came out of COVID. Um, for me, the way I look at medication, I think it's all well and good. I mm-hmm. think, you know, emergency care is <laughs> essential. Right. Um, I do think medication is essential in some ways, but I think um, it's a lot of people's first resort. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize that your body is created to heal itself. It has its own healing mechanism. Right. The medical industry, why would they recognize that? Where's the money in that? Right. And so I think it takes a lot of digging for people to to learn that and to actually believe that because we've been told, you know, for how many years, for our whole life, for our parents' whole life pretty much, um, maybe not so much our grandparents' whole life, mm-hmm. um, but that, you know, if you have an issue, you have pain, you have whatever it is, you go to the hospital, they give you a pill and it goes away. Right. And the way that it was once described to me is if you're driving your car down the road and the check engine light comes on and you just put a piece of black tape over it, the the check engine light is your car trying to tell you that there's an issue. Right. And you putting the black piece of tape over it is just taking the pill and masking kind of being like okay i don't i don't want to see the blinking light mm-hmm. like i don't want to feel this pain right or you know in acute sickness where you know you get a fever we're we're taught if your child gets a fever you want to reduce that fever well that's your body's you know way of telling you that there's something wrong and that's your body's way of getting through that and healing from that and you suppress that you're suppressing your body's ability to you know, fight off whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So you don't want to put tape over the check engine light. Why would you want to, you know, mask the, the signals that your body is trying to give you to Mm -hmm. tell you that there's something wrong. But, um, I think that, yeah, definitely. That's something that people have, um, woke up to in the past couple of years. Yeah. And was that the same time for you or were you aware of this prior to Um, COVID? No. Yeah. Prior to COVID. It's actually been, a fun thing to see people waking up. Yeah. So, um, that, and how did you go, start to go down that path of understanding that, hey, maybe I shouldn't, uh, or maybe the pill isn't the correct way to go for um, these Well, items? I got off of my medication in 2012 or okay. 2011, <clears throat> summer of 2011. Mm, so pretty early on. Yeah, I was yeah. on I was on medication for two years. Yeah. Um, all three that I went on, I was on prednisone twice and then the Acecol and the Mercaptoprene or 6MP, they called it. Um, I was on those every single one I had a side effect to. So for me, I told my mom, I was like, I'm not going on another medication. Yeah. I had to wear, you know, this cover up all over my oily rashes on my face and it, it looked horrible. I felt horrible. My hair was falling. I mean, it was, it was miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, I, because of my eating disorder, my menstrual cycle was messed up. I would get my period maybe every five months. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I only get it every five months. It lasts two to three days. So I was put on birth control by the doctor for, I want to say it was a year, year and a half. Hmm. And that caused me to puff up and become more self-conscious and gain this water weight. And, um, so I, I was on these 
in this two-year time frame, I was on these four different medications. And so it got, I kind of got to the point where, no, I didn't know anything about nutrition, but I was to the point where I was like, I'm not going to stay on these yeah. medications that are going to make me feel like this for the re- It was long-term. They said the rest of my life, I was going to have to be on them. Mm-hmm. So I weaned my way off of them. And that's when I sort of started trying to, you know, take care of my Crohn's through diet. That was when I got to the point where I was convinced that maybe my aunt Myra was onto something and that, you know, I could manage it with, with diet. Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. The trajectory for you, like when did things change? When did you realize, hey, the medicine isn't right? And it sounds like for you, it was yeah, more side it was, effects. Yeah, it was more like the medicine made me feel a certain way. I was having the side effects. So I weaned myself off of it while simultaneously trying to eat in the restricted way I was supposed to eat for my Crohn's. Yeah. And when I say restrictive, I don't mean eating disorder restrictive. I mean avoiding the inflammatory foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over time, I, I, I just ended up eventually going... Um, gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free for several years. Mm -hmm. And I felt good enough. So um, even though I was struggling, eating disorder aside, um, my Crohn's was under control. It was to the point where I didn't need to be hospitalized. I didn't need to be on medication. Excuse me. I struggled with inflammation here and there and flare-ups here and there, but it was all manageable, Mm -hmm. if you will. Um, And then... Once my eating disorder, I got to the point where I just cold turkey was like, this is it. I'm, I'm done using. Um, that's the point where I really started focusing on nutrition. Hmm. Um, so that was 2014, 15 timeframe. Um, and then just, yeah, I think just the, the more I changed my diet and my diet evolved, the better I felt, the better I felt, the better I felt. Um, and then I got kind of plateaued for a while where, you know, I, was, I wasn't struggling with my eating disorder anymore. I was eating this certain way. My dad died in 2016 and I was eating very clean, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. I wasn't eating processed food. Um, not perfect, but I was eating well. And I didn't have any inflammation for an extended period of time. And my dad um, died and I continued to eat well, but my Crohn's started, I started struggling with my Crohn's. And that's kind of when I made the connection to stress yeah. with autoimmune. And stress can cause inflammation in many different ways in the body. And with my Crohn's, that was my first experience of realizing that stress was a trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughters have struggled with eczema. 
Um, and that is something that I recently have been enlightened with is that, you know, that's just dermatitis is inflammation of the skin and stress on the body, whether it's emotional stress, physical stress, neurological stress can cause inflammation as well. And one way that it can express itself is, you know, inflammation of the skin. Hmm. Um, eczema can cause be caused by many things. But um, I guess just goes to show that stress can cause inflammation in many areas of your body. And yeah, one of them being Crohn's, possibly rheumatoid arthritis for mm-hmm. you, um, eczema. For me, with my Crohn's, it's inflammation of the intestines. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I, it was just I, it's been a slow, a slow evolution right. to where I'm at now. Yeah, and I feel like uh, somehow I got super lucky. Like I've exposure to a lot of these things. I did the whole thirty in like 2014 or something like that. Again, and so slowly yep. learning about all the stuff, kind of along you. But I had no reason to other than just the challenge of it. But yeah. through my wife and some of her relatives and stuff, heard about different. Again, you become aware of like the first time we did the whole thirty. I asked her, "Can I eat Doritos?" And she's like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like again, you're just so willfully, willfully just ignorant, you know? Yeah. Uh, but then again, yeah, slowly learned. So I got to the point where once I got it, I felt like I knew a lot of what I needed to know. Still learned a boatload after that, but I felt like yeah. I had the launching pad to then, instead of finding this out ten years from now, it was like right into it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Maybe it was COVID too. Again, because you hear everyone talk about like immune system health and all yeah, that it, stuff. it sparked yeah. a lot of conversations. That yeah. otherwise people probably wouldn't have talking about talked about you know mainstream right yeah the uh it's it, when you talk about your your kids with the eczema that made me think of like the stress on kids right and we have my my wife has brought our kids to a chiropractor in atlantic mine south range i should know her dr sarah but she does a lot with like fight or flight type stuff okay. i think again I'm, i've never been yeah. to her I'm, I, I'm just speaking but at least for our kids she had where they're like Hey, if they're really stressed, like in, they're in fight or flight, you can see it. Like when you go to react them, they, they jump or whatever else. Yeah. Right. Uh, is, and it was a, it felt like a significant difference of pre going see here and after going see here where they're mm-hmm. more relaxed, not as jumpy, whatever else. Yeah. And that's all, is it all nerve related or what? I don't know what Probably. puts you into that yeah, or takes that's, you out of it. My daughter has been getting, um, help for it. She throws tantrums Yeah. yeah. and we're seeing a chiropractor in Marquette. His name is Dr. Francois Yeah. and he's, um, helped her, um, in many ways but um the first thing that i noticed was her sleep she's Mm. a very light sleeper Mm -hmm. she wakes up to everything she wakes up multiple times a night to drink water and after a couple of treatments or a couple of adjustments um she started sleeping through the night yeah and now she doesn't wake up i changed her diaper in the middle of the night last (laughs) last week and she didn't wake up yeah and she started sleeping 15 hour nights not waking up and taking three three hour nap she did that for two weeks and now she's back to her typical 12 hour night two hour nap but um just that alone i was like well it's not a big deal i wake up i give her water you know yeah what's that's not that inconvenient right well then, it, yeah. Now I'm like, wow, she wasn't getting good quality sleep. No mm. wonder she was throwing tantrums and on edge all the time. Yeah, I feel stressed when I don't get sleep. Right, I'm on edge. <laughs> right. So yeah, no, I think yeah, stress can express itself in many ways in our body. Yeah, but it just shows how all connected everything is. Yeah, no, I mean, you can almost stress yourself out thinking about it all. Right? Oh, 100 like, you know percent. And that's mean? and that's another thing. Um, to for me with you know how I eat now. I couldn't have just decided one day, okay, next week I'm going to do these things. It really is just a slow process. It has everything that I've done up to this point. 
I've tried, <laughs> I've tried just like going, you know, I'm going to do all of these things starting on Monday and you get so overwhelmed or you start learning about several things and then you just dive deep, learn it, learn all of these things. And you're kind of just like, holy crap, I feel hopeless now because, yeah. you know, look at all of this, um, whether you're talking about toxins that we're exposed to through body products or whether you're talking about cookware and the, um, the Teflon pans or whether you're talking about drinking or eating out of plastic or using microwaves and the radiation or EMFs and Wi-Fi or, you know, the water we drink and the way it's treated or fluoride or, I mean, you could go on and on and on. The air we breathe, the paint on the walls. I mean, you could go on and on. Right. But to sit here and stress about things that you can't change, I mean, that causes a lot more damage to your body than just saying, okay, we live in this toxic world. I'm going to make these changes that are within my capabilities. And it's the easiest thing for me was things that don't cause extra stress to change. Um, Instead of, um, I don't know, say drinking tap water, I just got a filter. I got a Berkey filter. And so we filter our water and I just fill my water bottle the same way I would in the sink. Mm -hmm. Or instead of you know, using this kind of, you know, body soap, I'm going to use a bar soap. Mm -hmm. And that's not that inconvenient. So making these easy swaps, or instead of using iodized salt, use a high quality mineral salt or a sea salt. Instead of using margarine, use butter. There's all these like simple things that you can do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then beyond that, you can get in as far into it as you want and you can start you know instead of buying sauerkraut you can make sauerkraut instead of buying kombucha you can make kombucha but you don't have to right it's just it's um i think it's accepting that we live in a toxic world and doing what you can do to do or do what you can do to change the things in your life at first that don't cause extra stress yeah and then number two that's within budget that's within you know the time frame that you have during the day um it's not stressing about the fact that we're in a building that has you know paints that are off gassing mm-hmm. like you can't avoid that you're not i mean go live in the bush i guess but you know right. it's, it, you know so i feel like it's just focusing on what you can change mm-hmm. and then yeah yeah i feel i like that because again i think when i was 18 this is all so far removed so somebody told me hey these are the 50 things that you need to worry about and you need to eat this way and eliminate these, it just wouldn't even enter my realm. But if you told me, hey, you ever consider changing these three items? You'd be like, yeah, yeah I, can, I can manage that. Right? Yeah. Whereas, it's making yeah. small changes, um, small changes one thing at a time. If, if you try to change everything all at once, it's not realistic. Mm-hmm. That's like somebody <clears throat> that tries to go on a crash diet, start working out every single day, and I'm going to get eight hours of sleep, and I'm, you know you new year's resolutions don't stick because they're not realistic right not that nobody's new year new year's resolution never has but i mean it's it has to be reasonable Mm -hmm. and um i mean last year i learned that you know the the bpa that comes off a receipt is more than you would ever drink in a the lifetime of a plastic water bottle it's like i mean you can't stress about everything right right like yeah. So I feel like it's just, yeah, you do the best you can and, and stress is worse than 
stressing about the receipt is probably worse than touching it. If mm-hmm. every single time you touch your receipt, you're just stressed out to the nine. Like Right, right. No, I, I'm pumped for having this conversation again because the... I mean, you mentioned, hey, like your Aunt Myra helps you through some post- postpartum depression, right? Yeah. Uh, things like that. And we're talking about, again, through the autoimmune side of things, through the eating things. It's just things that all of us are either... I, I, w- I would bet that most people are either actively affected by this, by somebody close in their life mm-hmm. on any of these items, or it's them themselves, right? Yeah. And I'm saying it's it's not something you ever hear about. No. And, it, and I think the reason it's not is because there's there's so much judgment around these things. Yeah. And I've been part of, or I guess not part of a conversation, but with people talking about people that struggle with these things. Mm-hmm. And I'm over here like, hey, little hey, do you guys yeah. know, <laughs> like I've struggled with that and you guys are talking about it in a negative way. Right. This is why people don't want to open up and talk about it is because, and I think especially me, I had with my postpartum depression, this was just, you know, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um at that point in my life, I, my, I mean, my passion was where it's at now. Like I had been putting so much energy and so much of my time into trying to take care of myself, trying to lead this healthy lifestyle, trying to remove toxins, trying to incorporate nutritious food and, you know, do everything from scratch that I can. Mm-hmm. And here I have my second baby. And two months later, I'm struggling with this, what turned into very severe postpartum depression. And the only person that would have known was my husband Mm -hmm. because I was, I would only go out and see people when I, on a day that I felt good. And so, um, even one of my close friends, she's like, what do you mean you've been struggling for five months? Like I, I, she was like, you seem fine. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm not going to go out when I don't feel good. Yeah. And, um, but even that, I think it was just, I told Bruce, I was like, I, this is, how am I going to, you know, tell, this is why I went to the wellness way was because I was, I got, you know, um, it, it was turning suicidal yeah. and I've never struggled with that in my life. Um, even through all my, um, moments of acute depression, maybe, um, whether it was anxiety or depression, I guess throughout the years with my eating disorder, I never, it was never anything severe compared to what it was after my second baby. And, um, and that's why I started going to the wellness way because I felt like I've done everything I can do to take care of my health that I know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know everything. I just know as as I'm learning just like everyone else. Right. And um, and uh, he a couple of times was like, I'm bringing you to the hospital. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to the hospital. They're just going to medicate me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but you might need that. And I'm not saying that I, I'm above that. I told him, I said, I'm, I want to try alternative options first. And if it doesn't help, I'm willing to go to the hospital and get medicated. Yeah. Because if it's life-saving it's worth it, right? For sure, right. That's, you know, that's what it's there for. But I didn't want to jump to that if I could find help elsewhere. So naturally I call Myra and I ask her what I should do and I tell her what's going on and she said, you need to go to the hospital. So I got off the phone and I was like, crap, I just called Myra and I thought she would tell me, oh, do this, do that. Um, I said, Bruce, she told me to go to the hospital. Like, I, I can't go to the hospital. So I, um, so I, I didn't know what else to do. So I, um, called another friend and I told her, I'm, you know, this is what's going on. I'm struggling. What do you think I should do? And she said, did you ever hear the wellness way? And I was Hmm. like, no. Um, and so she recommended for me to go there. 
So I ended up telling Myra about that after. I was like, I decided I didn't go to the hospital. I didn't listen to you. Mm-hmm. And she, I said, I'm going to go to the wellness way and this is what I'm going to do. And she said, Jamie, that's great. She said, I just, that's something that you have to be willing to put in the work for. And I couldn't tell you, you know, that you should go do that because I don't know if you were willing to put in the work. And yeah. you're at a point where this is when medication is necessary. Right. Because your life <laughs> could be at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, but she was so supportive of me going to the wellness way. She just didn't want to tell me that that's what I should do, you know, because it, it does require a lot of work. Big time. Yeah. 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 And so, um, so I did, I started going to the wellness way and, um, yeah, within a couple of weeks, it was day and night different. Um, the bonus was it helped my Crohn's. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I thought I had my Crohn's under control, but I was managing it. I was still, I guess after at that point over 10 years of dealing with digestive discomfort you build up a tolerance to it and after i started the wellness way i just couldn't believe how good i felt i was so amazed at like i don't just puffiness just digest just the little stomach aches that i just dealt with all the time like um even when it comes to bowel movements i became very regular yeah and those are things that i guess i just got used to living with and so and i was feeling good physically before that i thought Mm -hmm. and so yeah so going to the wellness way that was um that pushed me i guess to look more into hormonal health okay um because i never struggled with depression before so i didn't have a reason to look into hormonal health and so that's really my focus now with my lifestyle Hmm. is trying to eat in a way that's supporting my hormones Mm -hmm. um and that's i'm just in the midst of learning all of that yeah but it's yeah so i i became pregnant i think when i was i was maybe going there for five months um and then i became pregnant right before my detox Hmm. and um so then i just started just diving deep into looking to see what i could do to prevent postpartum depression with this baby which it's a world of you know difference when you know you you eat in a way to support your hormones and granted i think a lot of it has to do with um perspective or what what would you even call it like attitude yeah um i think a lot of my depression i mean it was obviously a major hormone imbalance Mm -hmm. um probably from many years of abusing my body um but it's I sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, we were, you were talking about how the baby number three, the wellness way that the, Oh yes. Yeah. Being able to enjoy my baby. He's six and a half months old right now. And being able to feel great and enjoy him. Yeah. Um, my second baby, she was the easiest baby as well. And that's why I think I was in denial about postpartum depression because I thought people that had postpartum depression, they didn't want to hold their baby. They, um, you know, they felt disconnected. They sat on the couch all day and cried. I thought depression was this like constant mm-hmm. low. But for me, my experience, and I know everyone's experience is probably different. For me, it was um, when I, looking back, hindsight, it started, I went on a trip um, to Tennessee with my husband's family. Mm-hmm. And my baby was around two months old. She was an amazing baby, sleeping through the night. She slept 20 hours a day and didn't cry. I mean, she was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I spent most of my time up in the bedroom. 
And my husband was like, what's going on? Like, do you not want to hang out with us? Like, and I, I couldn't even explain it. I didn't know why I felt that way. I just, I don't know. I don't even, I don't, I still don't know why I felt that way. I just didn't want to be around anyone yeah. and it wasn't anything personal. And then from there we got home from that trip and it just went downhill fast. And I had good days, but I had many, many really, really bad days. And I never had a disconnect with my baby. Hmm. She was never a bad baby. I never, I loved breastfeeding her. I loved taking care of her and my oldest girl at the time. I, yeah. And so I think I just thought like, I'm not struggling with postpartum depression because, you know, I, I have a good baby. She's not crying. Why would I be depressed? Why would I be struggling? I'm still getting sleep. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I, <laughs> I guess I wasn't getting sleep because I, that's my biggest challenge in life is trying to get good quality sleep. I'm a night owl, yeah. but now I have kids. So I wake up early too. Yeah. So, um, I think I just thought postpartum depression was a low, low all the time. So I was in denial for many, many months and my husband eventually obviously encouraged me to get help. And um, yeah, I think that's something too that isn't talked about a lot. And I remember feeling embarrassed about it because I am health conscious. I try to take care of myself, yet I'm still struggling with another health issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got to the point realizing I'm like, why Why am I embarrassed about this? You know, mm-hmm. everyone, you know, you can eat a healthy diet, but we're always learning. Nobody has it all figured out. And, um, yeah, so I, yeah, I don't know. It's, I think, and obviously that's a spectrum too. For sure. Yeah. But the, the, when, when you do go to the wellness way, you said it was two weeks. Within within two weeks is when I started feeling mentally, yeah, uh, like mentally, um, better. Um, with my Crohn's as well. Yeah. And that was your first exposure to like the uh, food allergy testing or no? I had heard about it. Okay. Um, I think just through commercials and ads. Yeah. Um, I well, never considered doing it myself because at that point I, I was able, I was to the point where I was able to eat gluten again. I had been doing raw dairy for a while. So I was able to have dairy again. Um, I was doing sprouted grain breads for a few years. And then in 2019, I was um, introduced to sourdough. Okay. And so I started doing sourdough at that point. Um, So I could eat wheat for several years. Um, I was still gluten-free prior to sourdough. I was gluten-free for the most part, but I would have sprouted grain bread. Okay. Um, But yeah, so once I could like eat wheat again and um, have dairy again, I was like, well, what's the point of doing a food allergy test if I'm able to eat these things again? Yeah. But there was a lot of foods on there that... um, were unexpected, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah, that's the thing is like, <clears throat> and again, I think that is there some arguments over how valid the food allergy testing yes, is? Yes, yeah, there is. There's okay. a lot of controversy on it. And I think some, uh, I guess, I mean, I haven't looked super deep into it, but some people think that because you're exposing um, the protein of the food to your blood, mm-hmm. um, that it's not the natural way that your, you know, food would be introduced to your body. But I think people, um, a lot of people take issue with it because, you know, people will order their at-home food allergy tests, they'll get it done, and they'll say, okay, now we have to avoid these foods. Instead of the wellness way takes a different approach and they look at, okay, these foods are right now causing you inflammation. We need to remove them to reduce the inflammation, but then heal your body so then you can consume these foods again. Yeah. So if you're just like eliminating those foods permanently just because 
the food allergy test says so that's you're not figuring out why you can't have those foods Mm -hmm. that's once again you're just you're just managing the symptoms by eliminating the food that's triggering a response so you eating that food and it triggering a response is your still your body's way of trying to tell you that something's going on Mm -hmm. the food isn't the issue the food is the you know, the messenger, yeah. <laughs> the inflammation is the messenger. Right. Right. No, for me. So I look at it as I'm aware of the fact of like the wellness weight that there are a lot of people that it's very controversial, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, it doesn't even seem like it should be, but it, I, get, I get it. Right. Because they're going to tell you, Hey, don't go down these paths that doctors or a traditional medicine would be like, are you insane? You need to go yeah. down this path. Right. So I'm aware of that. And I'm aware of the fact of there is, like I just said, it seemed like there was people who would negate the accuracy of the food allergy testing or the or what you should take from it but the to me it makes sense and again it was overnight symptom free basically other than mm-hmm. like there again it was two months of bad, pretty bad pain um and then eliminate my food allergy start supplementing through them and then it's been four months of i've had three quick flare-ups and all of them i can pinpoint to one like a specific thing that i ate that, okay. that made that happen right yeah and now i'm in the middle of my 30-day detox right now which okay. in theory should get me out of the you know being on that tipping point where hey one wrong thing will yeah push me towards yep. that direction right but anyways to me it all makes sense like it's all awesome it's sweet but the there's a lot of people like you probably right that you think you're eating healthy you be eating the whole 30 but your your food allergy testing is saying, hey, you shouldn't be eating allergy, or excuse me, you shouldn't be eating tomatoes, these other things that you're eating yeah. all the, so you may be doing just as much harm thinking you're eating really healthy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that to me is really enlightening. Like the, I don't know, just having data and like labs to go off of too. And again, testing yeah. my thyroid, my hormones, stuff like that too, and yeah. getting all that, that whole picture to me makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like there's there's going to be controversy even within the natural world. Sure. You know, because yeah. many people have, um, diff- I mean, everyone has their own approach mm-hmm. to health. And in a lot of ways, I think people just have, they just have different ways of getting to the same place. Sure. And I mean, obviously there's, you know, the the nutritional side of things, the chiropractic side of things the spiritual side of things, um, being physically healthy and active or getting outside, getting fresh air. There's many aspects that, um, contribute to overall health, but, um, yeah, to me, the wellness way, I mean, it was day and night and maybe who knows, maybe it was the placebo effect. I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm getting help and my positive mindset healed. I don't know. You know, it's either way. It was a good thing for me. Right. And I mean, I, it's the mind is a powerful thing too, you Mm -hmm. know? So, I mean, I had a great experience for the short time that I ended up going there and I would recommend, I mean, it's a good, it's, if anything, it's a good introduction to the natural world of health. Right. And you have people that can explain, um, they can, yeah, test, try to figure out what's wrong with you, um, what's going on on a deeper level and they can explain what's going you know they i don't know i right. feel like i had a very good explanation of what i was struggling with after getting my dutch hormone panel back and my you know other testing done mm-hmm. um and it made sense she was able to look at my hormone panel and you know ask if i was experiencing rage huh. i was like that's a good way to put it yes i have a lot of rage yeah um rage anger i was but i was very estrogen dominant which i think is a very common thing with women 
in today's world. Mm-hmm. Um, my body wasn't able to um, detox the extra estrogen. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it gave me a new avenue to go down. <laughs> yeah. And again, I don't know. With like my health. For me, I think that the the food allergy testing component will be a part of my life forever. Yeah. Um, and again, you retest, see what's see where you're at, whatever. Exactly, but yeah. for sure, I'm open to growing into different areas or whatever. But like, hey, I need an answer. It's right a good now. starting point. Yeah. You know, sure. it's not it's not just you saying, okay, I'm gonna try this or I'm gonna try this, and not knowing whether it's helping or not. Right. You'll be able to tell if the wellness way is helping or not. Well, just they'll be able I'll- to tell you the tests are, you know to a certain extent aren't going to lie, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. My thyroid levels, uh, testosterone, all that kind of stuff. I'll be able to graph it on my next visit or whenever I do labs here, like a month and I'll be able to see exactly where it's at. But, um, we haven't even gotten into the food, which is like a bigger reason why I (laughs) want it. But uh, again, I like the backstory to me. It paints everything on top of the fact of like, again, how common is all this stuff? And it's hard to talk about potentially or, or, it just isn't talked about. It just isn't talked about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas I feel like hearing somebody, we were talking about this before we got on, hearing somebody else talk about it. So like me talking about it or you talking about it, I'm not even looking at it as a way of saying, like, I guess I'm excited to hear your story, but I'm not looking at a way of saying like, hey, it's kind of this thing where you don't, like in a social setting, I've heard this like quip of like, keep your medical story short. Like don't bore somebody with your medical okay. side of things or whatever else. I'm thinking about that. I'm like, well, A, I guess if somebody wasn't interested, they could just not tune in, right? But I'm exactly. just saying like, this is a setting where like, I'm excited to hear about it from you. So that's yeah. part of it, right? But also it's like, no, there's a lot of people that are dealing with this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's important or beneficial, I should say, to hear somebody else like you that's gone down 10 plus years of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. And again, like you said, there's so many avenues of it, but like the postpartum depression side of things and stuff, again, none of it gets talked about. No, I feel like no, this is me from the outside looking in, obviously, you know, but yeah. And I think it's, it is good to normalize these conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, it was hard to even tell my close friends about it, but I knew I had to, otherwise I wouldn't have anyone to talk to about it, Yeah. but it still was, um, intimidating for me to even tell my friends, even though I knew they wouldn't judge me for it. I still felt a little bit of embarrassment or um, ashamed maybe of how I had acted or how I had thought at certain points with my postpartum depression, Mm -hmm. certain thoughts that I had that were not rational. Um, But in the moment, um, I felt like I couldn't control. I think that was the hardest part of my postpartum depression was the feeling like I wasn't in control in those moments of rage or in those moments of sadness or anger. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very frustrating going from feeling normal to five minutes later um, wanting to do something irrational. Mm -hmm. It was a scary, scary feeling. Right. Um, But yeah, I think... um, a big part of the healing aside from the wellness way for me was um, opening up to my friends and having that emotional support, which I think a lot of people are scared to do because you don't know what the response is going to be. For sure. And I was pleasantly surprised with um, opening up first to my close friends about it. And I knew their response would be positive. Um, But after that, it made it easier to talk to even acquaintances that I normally, you know, wouldn't share things with. Um, I in a way made myself talk about it to people that weren't within my close circle. Hmm. Um, 
because I had one conversation with an acquaintance who opened up that she also was struggling with it at the same time as me. And that just, I guess, drove me to just any opportunity that I had to bring it up in a proper setting where that was being discussed, um, I would open up about it. Yeah. Because I knew it was good for me. And after that one conversation with an acquaintance, I was like, but what if this will be good for me and someone else, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But yeah, I think there there needs to be more conversation about depression and eating disorders. Right. You know, I've I've been out of that struggle for years now, but I mean, that was, you know... 10 years, 10 plus years of struggling with that Yeah. silently. Right. Um, so I guess at least with my postpartum depression, I had my husband to, you know, talk to. And then through um, the wellness way, um, I had my friends to talk to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The how a couple different thoughts I was thinking about is like that part of it being will being able to talk to somebody about it and normalizing that side of mm-hmm. it. Cause picture yourself in that rut, whatever that rut is or whatever you're going through. Like I've been there. We've all been there many yeah. times, right? If you can then finally talk to somebody about it, that's like a huge weight off oh, your shoulders. Oh, for sure. You know? Yeah. Um, otherwise you're just in your own little loop mm-hmm. mentally yep. where you can never get out of it. And you talk to somebody else and they can be like, Hey, me too. And you're yeah. like, Oh, yep. weird. Okay. This is normal. You know? Yeah. Uh, it just feels like it's the only way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it feels like it's a muscle. I feel like at first, like the, I don't know what age, and it's probably different for everybody. Some people probably never go down that path, but the first time you tell somebody scary, something like that, it's like the scariest thing ever. Yeah. I think you get to the point where it's like borderline an open book. Like I yeah. talk about anything, you know? Like, yeah. I think it's when, when you, when you accept it, Yeah. um, not, not accept depression as in it's, it's great that I have it, but accept it and um i guess become okay with the fact that you're struggling mm-hmm. and I, I i don't know what it is yeah i guess for me it's once the shame is gone or the embarrassment is gone um it takes a little bit to get there yeah and then you realize like why have i been keeping this to myself mm-hmm. it's so healing to talk about stuff right Right. And that's what that, somebody was on here recently. They said, what's the point of going through something extremely difficult and not helping somebody else that's going yeah. through the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah. No, that is true. Yeah. I mean, I I was able to get through my stuff because I there was actually my friend that I called that recommended me to go to the wellness way. Um, the only reason I reached out to her was because she was the only person I knew that struggled with postpartum depression. Hmm. Had I not known that she struggled with postpartum depression, I would have had nobody to reach out to. Yeah. So like, I mean, I, I thought about that several times through my journey of healing from that was if I keep this to myself, what if one of my friends, what if, what if one of my close friends is struggling with this mm-hmm. and they could talk to me, but because I kept this to myself, they don't have anyone to talk to. Right. So Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be, I have no idea what the stats are. I'm just saying like all these things are, you see, you know, one person with postpartum depression, right? Mm -hmm. You know, one person in this different category, it's gotta be that, that you, you, that's all you're aware of, but there's gotta be way more than that, that are, that you know, these people, but you just never hear about that side of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, 
I want to get into the food and we're almost going to sure. have to do a follow-up someday too. Okay. Just to, because yeah. some of the stuff is crazy. Like, yeah. you're doing the, <laughs> <laughs> like I do a lot of the cooking at my house and yeah. I enjoy doing it. And, and it's all like an art and a science and how long you have this in this setting. And I'm, I'm thinking about cooking a steak or whatever else and like yeah. little things. And I get excited about it. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> but like you're to a whole new level. Like you're making, what was it? Like marshmallows out of yeah, what was um, egg, egg whites? whites. Yeah. yeah. You can make them without, but it's a way to use up the egg whites. So, you know, I I don't like to waste. Um, we grew up not being allowed to throw, throwing food in the garbage can was frowned upon. Yeah. You put it in the fridge and ate it later. Um, so I feel like I have that a little bit ingrained in me. Um, I appreciate it now. Um, so yeah, so making egg white marshmallows is a good way to use up egg whites. Um, I put yolks in our smoothies. I put yolks in my coffee. Mm. Um feed my baby egg yolks and so i save the whites so you can still consume them you know in different ways and yeah it's a good good protein packed marshmallow right but then you're making different liver concoctions yeah uh, yes yeah so i yeah so I, i okay so with my diet i was loosely paleo for many years okay so i was gluten free dairy free which is also paleo Um, I would have oats, I would have certain things, but I was loosely paleo for many years. Um, With my pregnancy, um, my second pregnancy, I started eating gluten again. Um, And after, let's see, I was still pregnant with her when I started liver. So it's been two and a half years that Mm. I've been dabbling with liver. Um, It started with liver and... um, I guess it start, I was making broth before that. But as far as organ meats are concerned, um, a friend brought over some liver pate and some crackers, and it was phenomenal. Hmm. And anyway, so then I started collecting livers from whoever would give them to me, or bones, whoever would give them to me, or hearts. Um, when Bruce would go duck hunting, I'd ask him, can I have the duck feet? Can I have the partridge feet mm-hmm. to put in my broth? It makes a really gelatinous broth. Um, so then I started getting more and more excited Um and so over the past couple of years, I've been, um, I don't know, just loving the nose to tail lifestyle, yeah. um, trying to not be wasteful at home, but also not be wasteful with perfectly good food that just otherwise gets thrown away. Yeah. Um, and honestly, the most nutrient dense part of the animal that gets thrown away. Um, so yeah, liver was the maybe my introduction to liver pate was my introduction to organ meats. And yeah, so now I, in my freezer, I always have tongue, kidney, heart, liver, soup bones, marrow bones. If people will, I went out to North Dakota for a few weeks back in November and my brother-in-law so graciously gave me all of his um, pheasant feet. Hmm. So I brought those home and made a very gelatinous (laughs) broth. Um, Yeah, so I... I enjoy it. I was exposed to organ meats, um, or I guess maybe the, not necessarily organ meats, but um, using up the whole animal when I nannied for a family that was from Cameroon, Africa. Hmm. And the grandma was over here. Um, She was cooking a lot of the meals. Um, Me and her would cook, and she would make their traditional Cameroon dishes. And everything she made was phenomenal. She the whole fish head would be in there or, you know, she made every, she didn't waste anything, Mm. made, you know, meat stock, bone stock, whatever. And, um, the one thing I never tried was tripe, cow stomach. Okay. It was gray and it was 
tied in little bows and it was in the soup and you know the little feeler things coming off of it i couldn't get past that yeah i never tried it but if somebody served me tripe right now i would eat it in a heartbeat Mm. (laughs) um so that was kind of my first introduction to um foods that i wasn't used to um over there in cameroon they appreciate the whole animal and they use as much as they can and here in the united and a lot of countries are like that but here in the united states we're used to just eating the muscle meat yeah and the rest is gross or weird and um go back two or three hundred years or even in these um cultures in these different countries that are uncivilized and you know they're not um they're living off the land they like the liver is the pri- most prized organ. Hmm. Um, you know, they they save it for women that are pregnant or they save it for babies because it's, you know, such a um, special, you know, organ. Right. Um, I mean, they don't waste anything, but the liver is the most... Um, sought after, you know. And, they, and even, like, you take um, animals in nature when they kill their prey mm-hmm. a lot of times the liver is the first thing they go for yeah i mean every organ is great but if you were to choose one <clears throat> to consume the liver would be you know the most well-rounded yeah um muscle meat is great but um it's the the least nutrient dense part of the animal yeah i would i'm looking for lamb brain so if anyone has lamb brain <laughs> get a hold of me i'd like to try it um yeah, so um, something that I've learned is the organs that look the weirdest are the ones that taste the most mild. Okay. And the ones that look the most normal, like liver, looks fairly normal. It mm-hmm. looks, you know, that has the strongest taste. Kidney has a strong taste. Um, brain, I have not tried it. I hear it's very mild. Heart is very mild. Tongue is very mild. Tongue looks really weird. Heart to some people looks really strange unless you've butchered animals. Right. Brain would look really weird, but all three of those things are very mild tasting organs. Yeah. So, yeah, I've definitely um, been enjoying dabbling in that side of things. What about, I feel like I could do all them uh, for whatever reason, kidney seems like a stretch. Yeah. So kidney isn't, I haven't, I haven't prepared it in a way where I would say, oh, I'm going to, you know, liver and onions to me, I found a way to prepare it where it, it tastes all right. Okay. Um, kidney, I would just grind it and mix it in with ground beef. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of those things are acquired taste because liver, um, I chop and freeze the way that we consume liver in the most convenient way um, is we um, chop them, freeze them, and then my girls love it. They've had it, you know, their whole life, so they don't mm-hmm. know any different. They, My daughter, Ruby... We had back straps one night from Bruce's deer and not to toot my own horn, but they were really, really good and yeah. juicy and they were cooked perfectly. And Ruby didn't want the back straps, but she gobbled up a big handful of raw liver. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's just what you're used to. And I'm hoping that I can develop their palates in a way where they have a well-rounded diet and, you know, don't stick their nose up to certain foods like I did as a kid because it didn't serve me, you know. Yeah. And I think that that um, played a part in a lot of my health issues down the road. Is I didn't, I didn't enjoy food um, that didn't have that wasn't packed with sugar. Yeah, you know. Yeah. 
the <clears throat> couple things, I guess. Are you familiar with, is her name Danielle Pruitt from Meat Eater? She has a, a company or a page, Wild and Whole, I think okay, it's called. Okay, no, I'm not. Um, so some of these things you're talking about, I'm familiar with just through that world. Not, okay. the, not really the health side, but through okay. like the, against Steve Ranella, Meat Eater, they're like all about, again, utilizing a bunch of the animal. And this yeah. girl, Danielle Pruitt, and again, I might be messing this up, but I think her page is Wild and Whole. And again, same deal, like making feet, broth stock things, yeah. stuff like that and u- utilizing all the different parts and the organs and stuff like that yeah. i bet you'd be interested in checking her yeah yeah i'll uh, have to look her up checking her thing out but the the diet thing is crazy because like i was just uh, today eating some fruit and i saw my wife i said it's so weird that i would sometimes go weeks without eating a fruit or a vegetable yeah like it wasn't uncommon that i'd eat a vegetable every day for a week but it also wouldn't be uncommon where life got busy and also yeah, i didn't eat a fruit exactly. or vegetable for two yeah. weeks I mean, in this convenience world, it is easy to do that, though. Right. And um, now it's like, that is what I look forward to. Yeah, like, you, you start to crave what's good for you over time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going <clears> to <throat> say that I don't enjoy dessert here and there, or I don't enjoy going out to eat or getting ice cream. Right. Um, I do enjoy all those things, but in moderation, because I don't necessarily feel good yeah. after having them. And um, I also just really enjoy preparing my own food. Mm-hmm. And um, it's certainly become a passion now um it started off as obviously just trying to make healthier choices but i think since i've had kids um i became more concerned about what i was eating myself through pregnancy and then once you have kids you're obviously you know it's your job to raise them and take care of them and keep them healthy so i think that really drove my passion for food to the point where it's at now and organs I know for a lot of people that's a strange topic and it's i had somebody once say that i eat healthy but i don't eat weird yeah and it's only weird if you teach them it's weird Mm -hmm. right like my daughters don't think any of the food i feed them is weird and they look forward to when i make tongue yeah and um liver they look forward to the however many days a week they have it with their breakfast um i just don't I don't want people to think that in order to eat a healthy lifestyle, you have to have organs. It's not like that. It's just that's something that I am passionate about mm-hmm. um, and trying to incorporate in our life. And it's a little bit of a challenge for me, or not a challenge to do it, but it's fun to challenge myself with, you know, different things in the kitchen. And um, But it's not necessary. Yeah. I mean, there's convenient ways to consume organs through the capsules. That I mean, there's many companies out there that sell capsules. Um, you can hide it in ground beef. You can just not eat it at all, and you can still eat a much healthier diet than the standard American. For sure, for sure. And you, so you have a page. It's Naturally Nourished Home yeah. on Instagram, right? Yeah. What was the inspiration for that? I mean, it's got to be the food, right? But like, what yeah. was that? Yeah, so um, I feel like since I've had kids, my hobbies have changed Mm -hmm. but i've given up a lot of my hobbies um i used to play guitar weekly i don't play guitar anymore unless i maybe two three times a year um i used to work out all the time and did crossfit on and off a couple times um i don't do a lot of that stuff anymore because i don't have the time so my working out is going on walks or going on hikes or maybe if i happen to wake up every once in a while or you know fitting a workout in at home Mm -hmm. you know not going to the gym um so i feel like i developed these new hobbies after having kids i love to sew i learned how to sew i love um you know coming up with new foods in the kitchen um i don't know i guess my my hobbies right now are pretty much taking care of the kids sewing and in the kitchen those Mm -hmm. are my passions right now 
Um, and those are always subject to change. Um, so I was very creative <laughs> before I had kids. I loved to do pottery. I had a cake business for a few years. I loved um, just letting that creative energy out. Huh. Playing guitar is a way to creatively let out that, you know, that feed that part of me, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I felt like for you know, a couple of years, I just felt like I was almost depriving myself of that. And I didn't know how to incorporate creativity into my life without hiring a babysitter to go do something or I don't know, I couldn't figure it out. So, um, I guess my creativity started in the kitchen and Mm. that's kind of where I started. Um, I guess putting that energy. And so the page was kind of a way for me to expand on that creativity, having, a page to share my creativity mm-hmm. um in the kitchen to share my creativity in the kitchen but also to have a creative be able to put my creativity into the page yeah so i feel like to someone else looking at the page they'd be like that's not create you know a creative thing that's just a page where you're sharing food but i'm able to use that side of my brain to come up with different meal ideas and i don't know make reels that are you know using that creative side of my brain right I and i feel s- like it's been scratching the itch so it's been it's been a lot of fun yeah i was gonna say that side of it for sure the creative of the page itself and the yeah kitchen, yeah sure. so yeah, that was right. kind of another way to like yeah expand um without having to hire a babysitter to go do something or you know yeah. i don't take time away from the kids right you take the little videos here and there as you're doing something and then when they're napping or sleeping i can put together a reel so it's a way for me to kind of I don't know. Yeah. What what surprised me or I was going to ask you about is that you made the tongue and I've had tongue once and I should have it again. But anyways, you, you had the tongue and I think you put it in a, in a, in a broth, right? You were going to simmer it for a while, but yeah. when you pour it in your vegetables, there's like eggshells and leftover yeah. this and that, whatever. I was like, holy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like all that's just to add flavor to that. Yeah. Broth flavor. Or... Yeah. Yeah. Flavor. Yeah. Um, mostly flavor. I mean, yeah. you get a little bit from, you know, st- steaming or cooking the vegetables, but um also the main part for me is the flavor the eggshells obviously they're almost 100 percent calcium but the membrane on the inside of the eggshell is full of um a unique form of collagen Hmm. so it's a it's an easy way to um extract that into your broth and in general when you make bone broth obviously it's full of collagen from the bones and the connective tissue and the skin and everything else but it's just another way to add another form of collagen yeah and so and then after that they go in the compost so hmm. it's kind of just using them up as much as they can yeah no i, yeah. I think it's cool it just yeah uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it just surprised me again i didn't expect to see eggshells in the yeah yeah so bag. i i keep like a gallon ziploc bag in the freezer so whenever i'm you know shredding carrots or cutting up vegetables most of the veggie scraps i put into the bag with my eggshells with bones whatever else um so then anytime i make broth or stock, um, I can add that to it instead of, you know, cutting up a whole perfectly good carrot and overcooking it to the point where you don't want to eat it anymore. Right. Right. So yeah, it's just a, a way to, I guess, use up everything in the kitchen and then, yeah. And then you, you could just compost it and that's great, but mm-hmm. if you can use it twice, you know, that's right. even better. So yeah, for sure. And again, we should do a follow-up. I'd be excited to actually just have a straight hour of food yeah. talk for yeah, sure. Someday. For sure. I would be excited about that. I've got one last question. Unless you got anything else that you, no, we should no. have covered. I'm curious for you. Did you notice through this whole journey how, and again, it ties into all this, but how emotionally connected food is? Oh, a hundred percent like the food you eat and how you react to it and whatever. Yeah. I mean, 
food, I feel like the emotional connection to food, that's a huge part of any culture, but our entire life, like you eat three times a day on average, mm-hmm. you know, but at least one meal a day you would typically have with your family. It's like, you know, a way to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, holidays, parties, like any sort of gathering, it's always surrounding food. Right. That's kind of the center of everything. What is a party without food? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like it's it's been fun for me to have this positive relationship with food, be excited about food, and not feel like I am restricting myself of enjoying food. Because for many, many years, I, I wanted all the food, mm-hmm. but I... I was too obsessive with my weight or my body image where I was willing to sacrifice the enjoyment of eating food and enjoying the company of other people around food. Instead, that gave me anxiety. Yeah. And um, so it's been a lot of fun to like enjoy food, making it at home, making everything, you know, make desserts. You can make, you can make a lot of things healthy and they a lot of times actually taste a lot better than the junk food out there that, you know, you crave if you eat a lot of it. Um, But also being able to go to parties, go out to eat all of these things without the anxiety of, oh, how am I going to, you know, find a bathroom or how am I going to, you know, what if I gain weight from this or what if, you know, or even after the point of my eating disorder and then still struggling on and off with my Crohn's, the anxiety wasn't about, oh, am I going to gain weight from this? It was, oh man, this is going to make my Crohn's flare up. Mm -hmm. So then I had this like new anxiety. It wasn't about weight or anything. It was just about, well, now I have to eat this certain way because of my Crohn's. And if I didn't, I was going to have, you know, have to deal with the, the, you know, side effects of that. So it's been a lot of fun to be able to um, enjoy all of the food groups and not have to worry about the inflammation that would have previously come with that um through now properly preparing all of the foods Mm -hmm. and that's been for me the biggest change has been not demonizing any food group instead welcoming every single food group um but properly preparing everything and um the way that our ancestors did (laughs) yeah so yeah that's kind of been my new outlook on food is how did people eat you know, two, 300 years ago. Yeah. How did people eat? You know, how did the Native Americans eat? How did, you know, the people in the Amazon eat? How do they eat um, compared to how we eat now? And it simplifies food. Mm-hmm. For the other, the other aspect of the emotional side for me, I've realized is how, so you're emotionally connected in all that aspect of like the life and family and all that kind of yeah. stuff too, right? But also like if I had a stressful day at work or family or whatever, yeah. food was the answer in a way. Oh, right? I see what you're saying. Yes. Um, so, yes. but there's the, the I, emotional, yeah, the emotional attachment of like, Hey, yep. and, and so even, even eating this way, I still have a very similar relationship to food, yes. except instead of uh, it's a positive, well, it's a positive thing, but also I've realized that it's kind of a double-edged sword. One is like, you have to come to grips with that. You have a emotional relationship with food and yep. stress and whatever else, but also realizing like, Hey, you can still enjoy food now instead of a pizza like a steak and onions is my new pizza. You know what I mean? I can still go and enjoy that and have fun with it. But also like going through this detox now, all of a sudden for 10 days, it was fruits and vegetables. And I realized I don't have a crutch anymore. Like, you know what I mean? I don't have something I can go towards. I realized like, wow, I had a stressful day at work. How has the detox been? 
not bad. Okay. Uh, the hardest by far. Like the first four months of eating like basically meats and fruits and vegetables or first three months are fairly easy because yeah. I had a huge why. Like if yeah. I don't do this, I can't walk. So exactly. Yeah. This, yep. this part all of a sudden I started craving sweets. Uh, whereas I didn't at all prior to that, but okay. I think it's not eating protein. I think protein is a big oh, sweet inhibitor. Yeah. Um, so now I have 10 days of no protein and I started all of a sudden like dreaming about candy bars and yeah, stuff, right? Yeah. But it was so that did mo you're, more you're mentally out the parasites in your body that are craving the sugar. Yeah, probably. Um, so, but more mentally there, but I realized, okay, now I don't have something I can lean on. Like I was still leaning on steak and onions, for mm -hmm. example. Um, and I don't have that. It's like, wow, I just have to work through this. Yeah. Like mentally. And yeah. realizing like, I think there's value in just working through that instead oh, of, instead of masking it with food. Yeah. You know? Yep. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Whereas normally that's what you would have done yeah. or most of us will do. For sure. Yeah. Right? Normally would have done, will do. Uh, and, and again, even eating such a restricted, restricted diet of meat, fruits and vegetables, I still had that emotional, like, Hey, I had a, ba a stressful, not a bad, I really have a yeah, bad day at no, work, but, but whatever. You just yeah. come home, you're on edge, yeah, you're stressed, exactly. whatever. Yeah. Um, hey, let's lean in on the steak and onions and that, oh man, it feels good. Cup of coffee, let's move on, you know? Yeah, Whereas yeah. now it's also like, again, being in that moment, like, wow, I have nothing I can lean on. I just need to work through this. Exactly, yeah. And I feel like that for me was a turning point of like, hey, the next time you have that stressful day, maybe try to just work through it. Exactly, instead of, yep. Yeah instead of looking for the crutch. Right. Did yeah. you feel that or have you felt that? Um, yes. I would say when I was going to the wellness way, um, I didn't get to the detox point. Okay. So I'm not sure how the detox would have went, but I've done detoxes in my life. Yeah. And 100%, you go through um, phases of just whether it's mad cravings or feeling fatigued or headaches or these different um, symptoms, I guess, of a detox mm -hmm. and... Yeah, it is a it, it's a hundred percent a mental thing to work through. Right. Um, I guess in some ways you do have to find another crutch. You just finding something that's not food. Yeah, sure. But yeah, no. Yeah. So food food has. I mean, yeah, it's it's amazing how how powerful food is. Right. It's you know. A part of me wanted to be like. Uh, you almost look at it as a weakness, the fact that the food is a crutch. And I think it can be if you're blind to it, maybe. Yeah. And, um, and it's probably because it's a survival thing, right? you know, but without it, we are weak. Yeah, you know? for sure. But the other side of it is realizing like, Hey, you can still enjoy it. I don't know. Cause if you stress over it, well, that's not getting you anywhere no, either. Right. No. But that's yeah. That's when, yeah. when I went to the wellness way, that's what she told me. She said, I'm going to give you this California poppy to use in emergency situations. But she said, your job right now is, to try to have as little stress in your life as you can hmm. and tell Bruce that if you start getting on edge or start getting stressed, that this is, this will be your last resort crutch, but huh. you need to try to figure out ways to reduce the stress in your life. Right. Um, obviously her being aware that I was struggling with postpartum depression, it was still just like, okay, this is a mental thing. You know, this is obviously it's an imbalance, but you make choices, right? Mm -hmm. And stress is one of those things that I'm slowly learning and it's going to probably be a lifelong process of learning it, um, that you do choose to be stressed. Hmm. You choose to stay stressed. Mm -hmm. You know, things can happen that you can, your reaction can be feeling stressed, but then you can choose to stay stressed or you can choose to kind of zoom out and look at the bigger picture and try to get a different perspective on it. And yeah, it's, it's interesting because I would say I still like, even with 
eating a fairly healthy diet at home i eat healthy Mm -hmm. um for the most part and even with that like i still have the emotional um aspect of you know if i'm craving something i'll make something at home i'll just make it where it has you know nutritional benefit rather than you know going get i don't know a candy bar or something i'll maybe make some banana bread or make some i don't know Mm -hmm. you know whatever try to find something to curb that craving right um but yeah i would say i feel like that's probably going to be a lifelong thing for anyone is the emotional struggle with food right and And maybe not even a struggle in all in every aspect of the word yeah but for sure it's whatever it is whether you call it struggle or uh yeah whatever it is i mean it's there for sure um but yeah for sure i've replaced it now my i'm craving something i need something it's a bowl of raspberries and blueberries i mean obviously it's way better than dairy queen yeah yeah for sure um but yeah no it's a a lifelong thing for me now and like i said i'm pumped because at age 50 i know without a doubt i'll be 20 times ahead of where i would have been yeah without this exactly yeah yeah it's um I, and I feel like it's like that for any of us, even people that have been in the natural health world and, you know, for many years, like it's an evolution and it's of yourself, you know, right. nobody has all the answers. And we live in this world where there's temptations and toxins and, you know, not necessarily um, great food everywhere you look. And it, it takes a lot of effort Um but even if you eat the perfect diet and you have a stress-free life and, you know, we still, we still live, uh, I don't know how to say it. We will always be exposed Mm -hmm. to things that are going to be hurting us one way or another. And even if you think you have, you know, your diet figured out, well then maybe you're not getting enough fresh air. Maybe you're not getting enough sleep. Maybe you're you know, there's always going to be other factors. Mm-hmm. Diet's just one piece to the puzzle. Right. Um, and yeah, I feel like it's just, yeah, it's a process for mm-hmm. everyone. No. So I appreciate it, Jamie. If somebody did want to, like I said, we need to do a follow-up. Yeah. I want to, I want to talk about food because I enjoy cooking and that side of it. So I want to yeah. learn some of your secrets. Again, yeah. like thinking about making tongue tacos and yeah. whatever. Oh, yeah. Uh, but if somebody wanted to check out your page again it's naturally nourished home i'll put yep. it on the intro too yep. but okay. naturally nourished home on instagram yep. okay and that's kind of my only social media outlet yeah okay well thank you i appreciate yeah. it yeah. yeah thank you that was fun for sure <laughs> hey guys thank you for listening today i hope you enjoyed it if you have and you feel so inclined share this podcast with your friends subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and give us some feedback with a review Until next time, thank you.